protesters began to gather around the country to express their discontent with several stay-at-home orders put in place by state governors, the Paycheck Protection Program ran out of money for small businesses, and China admits it fudged the numbers. I am Eli Kelson, and this is the Teenager's Guide to Politics. Alrighty, hey everybody, thanks for checking out the podcast today. I just wanted to give a special thank you to all the listeners out there that have been supporting my podcast and going along and along the ride with me and so I just wanted to say thank you because I've spent an extensive amount of time recording and editing this podcast to make sure it's up to the standard that I want it to be able to be at for when I publish it to the general public to be able to hear so I just wanted to thank you for all the work and effort that everyone has put into this and I just wanted to quickly describe what the premise of this podcast is going to be about since that this is only our third podcast and that one of my goals was when I was creating this podcast was to simplify the news down into basic segments where everyone or anyone can be informed and has a firm foundation on how American politics behave. Secondly, I wanted people to be influenced by the facts and not rhetoric, so my job is to inform people of the facts and then you can formulate your opinion from there. Finally, I don't want any of my listeners to be misled by politicians' agendas. And I want to help develop critical thinking skills in order to tell if a politician is misleading you. Again, thank you for checking out the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Alrighty, as always, we will begin today with our Corona's numbers update, since this is the only news that has been being covered by all news cycles for the past six weeks. And also due to the fact that this is the most extensive pandemic that has occurred in our nation's history since 1918 and the Spanish flu. So according to John Hopkins University, in the United States, there are 101 million confirmed cases. That's right, guys. We made it. We did it. We finally made it to 1 million cases. Not a most joyous t- number to be heading towards, but we did it. Um, there's been 3 million cases worldwide, so we account for a third of the worldwide cases that is in the North American continent of the country of the United States. So that is quite revealing and quite pressing for our conscience. And there's 56,000 deaths around that number with 113 recovered. On Friday, it was a really bad day for the number of deaths because apparently there were over 4,500 deaths recorded in the United States. Now, many of those deaths were as a result of a change in CDC guidelines or standards in the terms of what counts as a COVID-19 death. I'm not actually sure because the bottom line is the fact that those deaths are attributable to COVID-19. According to the Washington Post, 25 deaths have snowballed from a few isolated cases to thousands across the country each day. The U.S. general surgeon a week ago urged that in terms of number of deaths, it would be comparable to Pearl Harbor. But it has turned out that it is five times more Americans have died from COVID-19 from the last week than from the attack on Pearl Harbor. If we look at the empirical data from the last week on COVID-19 deaths, then it becomes apparent that COVID-19 came in a close second for killing Americans in a single week, with it being just behind heart disease. COVID-19 killed more people than from the week of April 6th to April 12th than any other cause of death except for heart disease. In a typical April week, cancer kills around 11,000 people per week and heart disease kills 13 thousand people a week and covid killed roughly 12,400 people in that week span and now that is utterly terrifying and tragic for the families of those who have been afflicted by this terrible and awful disease but the scary thing is that if we 
prorate the weekly figures over the entire year, then the total amount of deaths would easily surpass 100, 000, the 100,000 mark. Luckily, this is very unlikely due to the fact that last week was likely the peak for COVID-19 related deaths and what we are going to see is the steady decrease in the weekly deaths taking place because of the social distancing measures being carried out by the states around the uh, union. Now, with that said, there is a, a lot of talk about when will this be over and when will the nation reopen for business. And I think that it is important when we talk about the coronavirus deaths that we see the raw numbers. And very often when people show these charts, and unfortunately these charts are very useless, and one of the charts is cumulative deaths. And when you look at the cumulative deaths, it looks exponential, meaning it is rising rapidly at some constant. The problem with that is that it doesn't accurately tell you if the rate of death is incre increasing or decreasing. And to bring up another vital topic, this chart doesn't tell us is that the rate of hospitalizations, and this is ultimately what, what matters for the nation, because of the social distancing policies that have been pursued, we hope to flatten the curve, which how, which a consequence of flattening the curve is that we increase the total amount of infect, infectations of COVID-19 over a longer span, but it does not overwhelm the healthcare system so fast. Because of the social distancing policies that have been pursued, we hope to flatten the curve, as we have stated, while also increasing our medical capacity to be able to take on the surge of new cases. Recently, the media as a whole haven't been completely transparent with the statistical data of dying from coronavirus. Because if we look at the actual danger from dying from coronavirus, then what has, take, has taken place is if we look at the type of people as a majority who are acquiring this coronavirus. To pretend that all people who become infected with coronavirus have the same probability of dying or ending up on a ventilator from coronavirus is simply not true. It is really irresponsible because when officials are talking about opening up the country, you are going to have a like a wide range of people. You are going to have to determine who is most vulnerable and who is least vulnerable, and to pretend otherwise is rather silly. We hear this kind of stuff from members of the media as a whole and also from government officials because they say something around the parameters of, sure, coronavirus kills older individuals more frequently, but it could kill you. Well, cancer is mostly infects older people and develops in older people. It doesn't affect it. It mutates in older people. I'm sorry. Yet it kills anybody, but your chance of acquiring cancer when you're age 30 are much less drastic than they are when you are 70. To pretend that the risk is equivalent and therefore the behavior is equivalent is irresponsible and it is a blanket size, one size fits all policy. Before we analyze the policy being put forth by the White House, I would like to leave you with some statistical breakdown of the total deaths per age group from coronavirus this past few months since the data is pretty much uniform throughout the entire time span of from February 1st and April 11th. Okay, so for age groups in the United States ages 0 to 1, there are zero total deaths from ages one through four there are two deaths this is according to the cdc just to make sure from ages 15 to 14 years old there have been one death in the whole entire continent of the united states from ages 15 to 24 there have been 13 deaths across the united states out of the entire population of more than 67 million people from the ages of 15 to 24 from the ages of 25 to 34 there have been a total of 135 total deaths from the period of april from February 1st to April 11th, my bad. Then ages 35 to 46, there have been a total amount of deaths from coronavirus, numbering in 321 people. It starts to elevate as individuals begin to get older, which makes sense due to the fact that pre-existing pre conditions be become more prevalent in people's lives. 
from the ages of 47 to 56, there have been 754 people that have died. And then finally, from the ages of 58 to 69, there have been 1,700 deaths from uh, February 1st to April 11th. And then in the final bracket, we have an aged population of around 75 to 85 years old. And that has been roughly 28,000 people dying from coronavirus. Again, to reemphasize, once individuals on average hit the age of 74, pre-existing conditions begin to influence their ability to fight an infection, and such conditions include degenerative heart disease, acute respiratory syndrome, diabetes, and even obesity. So to summarize, if we treat older individuals the same as younger individuals in terms of public policy, then this is really, really foolish due to that indirect consequences will have an impact on social mobility and economic results from uh, containing them and quarantining them in their own houses. As COVID-19 deaths peak around the United States, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan faces harsh criticism from, from Republicans for her stringent stay-at-home order, with hundreds of protesters on Wednesday lining the streets of the Capitol, with some chanting, Recall Whitmer. The protests, called Operation Gridlock, was organized by the Michigan Conservative Coalition and the Michigan Freedom Fund, a divorce family-linked conservative group. The Facebook event called on attendees to take action in the Capitol, but not on foot, stay in your vehicles, end quote. The Democratic governor last week issued one of the nation's strictest stay-at-home orders amid the coronavirus pandemic, choosing not to align the state with a federal agency's revision list of critical infrastructure, which would allow some Michigan citizens to return to work. The list is advisory. Whitmer's decision to tighten instead of loosen restrictions has sparked backlash from Republican legislators across the state. The governor's latest stay-at-home order, which is scheduled to be in force until April 30th, has been criticized as too restrictive and confusing for businesses. While people can still buy alcohol and lottery tickets in person, the order closes businesses that sell products such as hardware supplies and gardening seeds. The order has also affected grocery stores and department stores, some of which have been roped off sections not deemed non-essential to comply with Whitmer's orders. The majority support stay-at-home orders even as they know their daily routines won't be getting back to normal soon. Only 20% of Americans in an ABC News poll said they expect their routines to be normal by June 1st. The majority said they that they expect July 1st or later, 61% of the uh, people surveyed, haven't had their daily routines changed, with 11% saying that they will not be changed. The percentage who don't think they'll be back to their normal routine by July 1st has gone up significantly since earlier this month. You might think, therefore, Americans are aching for the government to lift the stay order, but most are more fearful that the stay-at-home orders will be lifted too soon than not soon enough. In a recent Pew Research Center poll, 66% of Americans were more worried that restrictions would be lifted too soon compared to the 32% who said not soon enough. A majority of every demographic, which includes gender, income, and ethnicity, groups as well as a majority of Democrats and Republicans are in the too soon than not soon enough camp. The debate about when and how to reopen the economy has intensified in recent days as the president sent conflicting messages or signals insinuating that it was up to the government to decide when to lift restrictions, while at the same time pressuring them to open for business. Quote, America's testing capability and, and capability is fully sufficient to begin reopening the country, end quote, Trump said in a Saturday news conference. 
a declaration sharply at odds with governors in New York and elsewhere who say lack of widespread testing makes reopening businesses more risky. The president singled out the Democratic governors of Michigan and Virginia. Quote, I just think that some of the governors have gotten carried away, end quote, Trump said. Deborah Burks, who serves as the White House Coronavirus Task Force, said Saturday that hospitalizations had fallen, an encouraging sign of the, the, quote, progression we are facing across the country against this disease, end quote. However, there have been a new study published by John Hopkins University suggesting that COVID-19 tests that have been administrated in the United States have a roughly 30% false negative reading. If this is true for the wide swaths of tests across the nation, that means we are facing over 700,000 unconfirmed cases due to the fact that the federal government has completely has complete, completed approximately 4.5 million tests throughout the United States. The 30% discrepancy is referring to the test type known as the RT-PCR, which has been used across the country as well as in China and other countries, and test patients with a long with a long nasal or oral swab. Earlier this week, Dr. Harlem M. Krumholtz, director of the Yale New Haven Hospital Center for Outcome Research and Evaluation, penned a piece for the New York Times in which he raised concern about the false positive test result stating current coronavirus tests may have a particularly high rate of missing infections the good news is that the tests appear to be highly specific if it comes if your test comes back positive it is almost certain you have the infection Krumholtz said false negative test results test that indicates you are not infected when you are quote seems to be in uncomfortable conditions and common increasingly disturbing i hear growing number of adolescent stories from my fellow doctors of patients testing negative for coronavirus than testing positive, or people who are almost certainly infected who are testing negative, end quote. He said at this on one to say. Cromwell's also cited the Center for Disease Control, which states you probably were not infected at the time your species was collected. According to the Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, recent exposure to the COVID-19 positive patient as well as the presentation of coronavirus-like symptoms are important when an individual has a negative COVID-19 test result. Quote, the possibility of a false negative results should especially be considered if the patient's recent exposure or clinical presentation indicates that COVID-19 is likely and diagnostic tests for other individuals are negative. It says initially, New York and other states were using a test developed by the CDC. The test turned out to be flawed, and according to several reports in this pandemic, the CDC encountered problems manufacturing their tests. The FDA assisted CDC in their work to resolve the issues and utilize a commercial manufacturer to make tests for any laboratory, not only public health labs, the FDA said. Then the FDA allowed companies to produce and release tests to, under the Emergency Use Authorization Act. In a statement dated March 30th, the FDA said it gave those companies unprecedented flexibility to develop their tests. Quote, every action that the FDA has taken during this public health emergency to address the COVID-19 pandemic has balanced the urgent need to make diagnostic tests available with providing a level of oversight that ensures accurate tests are being developed. End quote. The FDA said in a statement, while it is important to test for active cases in the population, it is more of a precedent to look for individuals that have naturally developed the immunity to the COVID-19 virus by testing for antibodies within their system. This is because, so we can get a more accurate denominator for our COVID-19 cases and therefore lean to a more accurate fatality rate from the virus. 
immunoglobin detection tests are based on the qualitative detection of IgM and IgG. These are specifically generated in the bodies in response to the SARS-CoV-2 infection. IgM is usually the first specific antibody test generated by the body in response to infection. Then the IgG antibody test is generated and replaces the IgM as the predominant antibody in the response to infection. IgM and IgG fight infections by targeting specific antigens at the surface of the SARS and COVID-2 virus. In general, immunoglobulin tests use specific viral antigens to detect the IgM and or IgG antibodies against those antigens. Here's a sample how the test works. It collects two to three drops of fresh blood or serum or plasma and it places it in a sample container and that which then they place two to three drops of provided buffer in the same container. The casket allows the diluted sample to move through the casket by capillary action. The casket has labeled SARS-CoV-2 antigen that may bind chemically with either IgM or IgG, thus forming an antigen-antibody complex of antigen IgG or an antigen IgM. After that reaction, the antigen-antibody produces product passes over anti-IgM and anti-IgG antibodies that are immobilized and aligned within the casket. The anti-IgM and or anti-IgG then will capture the specific complex and signal a result, a red line on the test kit if either complex is bound to the immobile anti-IgM or anti-GG. The result needs to be read after 10 minutes and no more than 15 minutes. The test results a home it kind of resembles a home pregnancy test in this respect. A third line is a control line, however. It indicates the test is working properly. If we, administ if we administer a wide range of antibody tests throughout all counties in the United States, then we can actually see how many people have contracted the COVID-19 uh, virus. A recent Stanford study has suggested that the number of people infected in the United States with COVID-19 is 85 times higher than what our current estimates suggest meaning that if we apply the guidelines laid out in the study, then in the United States, we see roughly 70 million Americans walking around with the knowledge, without a knowledge of the fact of themselves being infected. However, it would actually be a positive to society since the fatality rate would be significantly lower than the 1.4% we are witnessing today and be somewhere around the 0.007% if the Stanford study was correct with the number of infected from COVID-19 is 85 times higher than the 1.1 million already seen. Ultimately, as a country, we need to be able to administer more antibody testing for citizens to take in order to locate the correct statistics surrounding this virus and its mysteries. All right, moving on to our third section today. As the coronavirus continues to spread all over the globe, the international community is increasingly critical of, the Ch of China's handling of the outbreak. Since the beginning, the Communist Party's secrecy and incompetence may have led to this crisis slipping out of control. Many believe that the Chinese government is still underreporting COVID-19 cases within its data points. Unconfirmed reports suggest that these assumptions may be correct. Dr. Anne Brown, Deputy Director of the CDC, stated that her organization believes China is underreporting COVID-19 data. This is what she had to say on a press event on February 11th. Quote, we absolutely assume that the reported cases are underestimated. The early exportation of the virus to a number of countries was used by mathematical modelers to estimate what the total cases must be. 
The CDC is not alone in their assumption of Chinese numbers. According to a study from the Ohio State University, the coronavirus outbreak could be more widespread than the Chinese authorities are admitting. These researchers conducted a model study that estimated the real infection rate to be five or ten times higher than the official government data. China rejected the American intelligence community's conclusion that Beijing concealed the extent of the coronavirus epidemic and accused the U.S. of seeking to shift the blame from its own handling of the outbreak. Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Changying on Thursday defended as, quote, open and transparent, end quote. China's response to the virus first identified in December in the central Chinese city of Wuhan, where, which was reported by Bloomberg News, reported saying that the U.S. intelligence community had concluded in a classified report to the White House that Beijing underreported both total cases and deaths from the disease. Quote, some U.S. officials just want to shift the blame, Hua told a regular briefing in Beijing. Actually, we don't want to fall into an argument with them, but faced with such repeated moral slander by them, I feel compelled to t- take some time and clarify the truth again. End quote. China's public reporting on cases and deaths is intentionally incomplete, Bloomberg reported Wednesday, citing three officials who asked not to be identified because the report is secret. Two of the officials said that the report concluded that Chinese numbers are fake. The leaked report was received by the White House last week. One of the officials said U.S. President Donald Trump said that Wednesday he had not received an intelligence report saying Beijing had concealed the outbreak, but that their statistics appeared low. Quote, their numbers seem to be a bit on the light side, and I am being nice when I say that, end quote, he said at a daily coronavirus briefing at the White House. Trump added that the U.S. and China were in constant communication and that Beijing would spend $250 billion to purchase Chinese products. Again, Trump just, what, a couple months ago signed phase one of the reconciliation of the Chinese trade war. Um, it would be a political hit to his campaign and his reelection chances if they got into another trade war and the conditions deteriorated and they began to jack up the prices and tariff imports on goods and services. And that would result in Trump being his popularity rating going down. We, he said he'd like to keep it and that they'd like to keep it for or in reference to the Chinese government he said of the u.s chinese trade deal quote the reality is that we could have been better off if china had been more forthcoming what appears evident now is that long before the world learned on december that china was dealing with this and maybe as much as a month earlier than that that the outbreak was real in china while china eventually imposed lockdowns and mass quarantines one action taken by the chinese government specifically was noted by the U.S. Intelligence Committee. So back in December, when the virus was spreading in China extensively, the interesting thing is that the Chinese government shut down all domestic flights flying within the country's borders. However, they failed to um, ground all international flights. This can be taken as a fact that the Chinese government does not want, did not want the world to know of the coronavirus outbreak at the time and wanted to conceal and hope that it would not spread to the outer world and that would that would be a foolish proposition and um notion that the chinese government would lie on it set up fewer clinics to slow the virus's spread and skeptics toward its numbers have lingered the chinese government have reportedly revised its methodology for counting cases and for weeks excluded people without symptoms entirely only on Tuesday, it added more than 1,500 asymptomatic cases to its total. 
quote, the claim that the U.S. has more coronavirus deaths than China is false. Senator Ben Sass, a Nebraska Republican, said in a statement after Bloomberg News published it its report, quote, without commenting on any classified information, this is much is painfully obvious. The Chinese government, Chinese Communist Party has lied, is lying, and will continue to lie about coronavirus to protect the regime. Republican lawmakers in the U.S. have been particularly harsh about China's role in the outbreak, emphasizing Beijing's responsibility for the pandemic could be politically helpful to Trump, who has sought to shift blame from the U.S. outbreak away from his administration's delays in achieving widespread testing for the virus and mobilizing greater production of supplies such as face masks and hospitalization and hospital ventilators. Deborah Books, the U.S. State Department immunologist advising the White House on its response to the outbreak, said Tuesday that Chinese public reporting influenced assumptions elsewhere in the world had about the nature of the virus. The medical community, quote, the medical community made in, interpreted the Chinese data as this was serious but smaller than anyone expected, she said at a news conference on Tuesday, quote, because I think that probably we were missing a significant amount of data now that we have seen in, in Italy and seen in Spain. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had publicly urged China and other nations to be transparent about their epi epidemics and outbreaks. He has repeatedly accused China of covering up the extent of the problem and being slow to share information, especially in this week's after the virus first emerged, and blocking offers to help from the American experts. This data set matters, he said in a news conference in Washington on Tuesday. The development of medical therapies and public health measures to combat the virus so we can save lives depend on the ability to have confidence and, confidence and information about what actually happened and it needs to be transparent, Pompeo said. Essentially, what we need to take from this story is to never trust statistics that are flowing out of an authoritarian regime that has its public image on the verge of collapse throughout the world. And I'm going to just review the story of what allegedly has happened through the coronavirus outbreak and where it originated in Wuhan. This is unconfirmed. I just wanted to notify this is unconfirmed. However, U.S. intelligence sources within the White House and the State Department have begun to look at unnatural causes by the Communist Party for the spread of the virus. So what allegedly happened was that China was trying to keep up with the United States in biomedical technology and viral virology with with respect to the United States and its development of vaccines. One lady who was working at this biomedical facility in China, in Wuhan, accident, there was an accident that probably happened. We don't know the exact details, but she got somehow got infected. On December 13th, people are saying for the statistic, she went back to her apartment where her husband then became infected with the virus. Later that next day, he went to the Chinese wet market to get some lunch, I guess, and that's where apparently people are saying the bat comes into the equation for when the virus spread out of Wuhan. He then later came into contact with the chef, and then we don't know what happened. Then the spreading became exponential, and that occurred. So one thing that we need to learn from this is that China and the World Health Organization have collaborated excuse me, with each other to be able to reinforce the story of that it originated in bats and mutated from there. However, this is simply not true since the US, U.S. intelligence community has had some evidence suggesting that the virus originated from, not originated, but didn't intentionally, wasn't constructed as a bioweapon. It emerged from a biomedical facility. 
and with the fact that Chinese public image is on the verge of collapse throughout the world and that companies around the world are moving their production from China into other cheap labor countries such as um, Vietnam and other Southeast Asia countries, this shows that the Chinese party is much more delicate than we initially thought. Okay, moving on to our final segment today. President Trump announced Wednesday that he has signed his promised executive order temporarily suspending immigration to the United States during the coronavirus pandemic. Quote, in order to protect our great American workers, I've just signed an executive order temporarily suspending immigration in the United States. The president said it during the coronavirus task briefing in the United in at the White House. Quote, this will ensure that unemployment Americans of all backgrounds will be first in line for the jobs as our economy reopens, end quote. Trump had said earlier this week that immigration would be suspended for at least 60 days in order to make sure Americans laid off during this coronavirus pandemic are first in line for new jobs. Trump said that the ban would be reevaluated after he looks at unemployment and economic figures. This includes people awarded with permanent residence under the diverse lottery, work green cards, and chain migration. People who are seeking green cards under the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, or the USCIS, are already in the country as they are not subject to the pause. While a hard stop on immigration would normally affect millions of people, much of the immigration system is already grinding to a halt because of this international pandemic. Almost all visa processing by the State Department has been suspended for weeks. Travel to the U.S. has been restricted for much of the globe. Oh, and I want to go off on a tangential tangential point for here for just a little bit. So I take Chinese. I am trying to study f- to be able to go to Shuqiao University in China for the my next summer between my junior and senior year in high school. And my Chinese teacher has her husband works in Kentucky for a biomedical company, ironically. And she recently traveled over to Kentucky because I live in Oregon. So she flew all the way over to Kentucky to be with her husband and kid. And she's not coming back. She's trying to get her visa, which due to the immigration, the executive order which banned immigration, she cannot get her visa. She's stuck in the United States without a job. Her husband has doesn't have a job since they shut down business for the coronavirus pandemic. So they are literally in the United States unable to get out, which is quite a scary situation to be in, especially considering their circumstances. But I hope the best for them and that they'll be able to um, get home safely because I know the fact that being in a foreign land during this scary time would be absolutely horrifying and scary to be able to imagine. I can't even comprehend. All right. And Trump said that he has used the virus to effectively end asylum at U.S. borders, including turning away children who arrive by themselves and putting a hole on refugee resettlement something Congress, the courts, and international law hadn't previously allowed. Criticism of Trump's new announcement has been shifted swift, especially his timing during the pandemic. Adris Flores of the American Civil Liberties Association said Trump seemed more, quote, interested in fanning anti-immigration flames than in saving lives, end quote. This, for me, I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible, but this seems like a little bit of an inflammatory comment to suggest that someone would rather be fanning anti-immigration flames than in saving lives. I think that's completely irresponsible because I believe that Trump sees the potential in all Americans and that he, even though he sometimes has some slip-ups and some inappropriate behavior, sometimes for the president of the United States, I believe he wants to save as much lives as possible. Ultimately, Trump's argument for suspending immigration is to let Americans receive jobs and the benefits associated with working for America. 
Looks like we've run out of the allotted time to do things that I like today, guys. I just wanted to say that I appreciate every single one of you guys. You guys are amazing. And that I appreciate the amount of time you take out of your day to listen to this podcast. And we'll see you on the next time we do the Teenager's Guide to Politics.